Welcome to the I Am In podcast. This semester, the Boise Nampa Institute will interview members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We will hear stories from their personal lives, examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them. We hope you will join us each week to strengthen your faith in the Savior and gain hope for the future. Today I am with Amber Irvine, and we are here to talk about her journey and where the Savior has been a part of her crossroads. And so Amber, I'm going to let you start by just giving a little background where you grew up, uh, youth and childhood, where you went to college. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I grew up here in Boise, Idaho, and that's how I know Michelle. We went to high school together. And I was the good kid. I followed all the rules. I didn't have a lot of, um, I didn't even have a lot of desire to like break rules. I was on seminary council and did all the things right and um, went on a mission. I got called to Guatemala. And when I got on my mission, I um, got sick and was sent home after three months. And that was kind of my first bump because you don't come home for missions. Um, at least at that time in my life, I hadn't heard of people that did that. And I thought it was embarrassing, even though it wasn't a choice I had made. Um, and maybe we just touch on that for a minute too. Yeah. Uh, because so many people have this story. And I think, I just want to say thank you for the three months you served, right? <laughs> uh, and to all the missionaries listening, whether you serve one month, three months, six months, 10 months, those are months you gave to the Lord. Yeah. And and no matter what happens, if you come home because of medical or because of things you need to take care of, it doesn't matter, but find gratitude for at least those months you did serve, right? Right. And I think that there's something about, I think the Lord also sometimes has us do things just to see if we'll do them, mm-hmm. you know? And I kept thinking, like, I felt so strongly about a mission, and I didn't baptize anyone in those three months. I didn't really do a lot. And so I kept thinking, what was the purpose of that? And um, I wonder now if the purpose was just that the Lord wanted to see if he called me, if I would go. So but your first we'll lesson in... yeah. Total obedience. And you were at Rick's College before your mission, right? Oh, yeah. I went to Rick's. I got an um, undergraduate in psychology there. And So did you go back to Rick's after? Or is this, did you get that before? Because missions before. were 21 mm-hmm. back in the day. Yes. So I got my associates before I went. Um, went on my mission for a very short, my, my mini mission, I call it. And then I came back and went to Boise State. Okay. And I graduated from Boise State with my bachelor's in communication. And I kind of thought I wanted to be a counselor back then, going to psychology. But um, I really thought I'm going to get, like, to do anything with psychology, you had to have a master's. And I knew I would never get a master's because I wanted to get married and have kids. I wasn't even sure I would get a bachelor's degree. So um, when it, looked as if my life was going to, I was going to be able to get a bachelor's degree. Um, I decided to do communication because I felt like it was more marketable. 
and I could still go on to do something more with it if I ever wanted to. And so that's what I did. And when I graduated, um, I started working in special event planning. And, and that was here in Boise? Here in Boise, um, through hotels. I started in hotels. And um, after a while, I felt like I had dated everyone in the area. <laughs> and um, I just was ready for a fresh start. For a fresh start, something different. And so um, I decided to go to Salt Lake. It was bigger. Um, I didn't particularly know anybody there, but it was a bigger city. It still um, had a lot of LDS people, I thought. And so I packed up everything in my car and moved down there. Got an apartment. Um, and did you have friends or did you know nope. anybody? Didn't know anybody. Um, and so I got an apartment and found a job. Back in events planning? Um, not initially. Initially, I worked for Franklin Covey, um, which were planners at the time. And um, it was big. And it was big. And so I, that was where I first found my job. I eventually went to... Um, back into hotels within about a year or so and then went to event planning from there um but I love to dance I would country dance a lot from Rick's and at Boise State and so I didn't have any friends and so I found a club that was country dancing down in Salt Lake and I um went there by myself one weekend and met a guy that I thought was nice and cute and I didn't know anyone and so eventually um we started dating and he was um a member but he said he had been not real active and and was working on it and I felt like that's okay you know um and so we started dating and um dated for a while, six months or so, and decided we were going to get married. But we couldn't be married in the temple because he hadn't been active. And so I made kind of my first, like, I didn't call it, a, in my brain it wasn't exactly a, I think it's an excuse where I was like, I, I kind of was starting to put like, well, I always wanted to get married in the temple, but sometimes things, you just have to do it a roundabout way. And we'll get married in the temple eventually, so it didn't really matter how we got there. And I think that that's true for some people, but um, I felt a little uneasy about it, which I think now as an adult, I'm like, Obviously, that might have been a clue, but um, we went ahead and got married, and my intention was always that we would, you know, be sealed within a year. That was the way they did it, kind of, then, and um, we were married about eight months, and he filed for divorce, and I was shocked. I did not have any idea that it was coming. I didn't have any suspicion that things weren't going well. 
he just decided that he still had a lot of play left in him and he didn't want to be committed. After he was already married. After he was married. Um, because he'd come from a broken home, um, I, I gave the next little like exception to my rule and said, you know what, he's just doing what he knows and you know, marriage is forever and this is just another bump in the road. You know, I have to make another exception to, to what I thought life was going to look like. And so I started fighting for my marriage and hoping that he would stay. And um, the divorce went through and he decided that that was a mistake. And so he wanted to stay together, but the divorce was through at that point. And so we continued to have a relationship and um, I stayed with him for 10 more years. Wow. Um, And at that time, I always was active in church. He never was. Um, But we were also still pretending to be married, kind of, um, when we weren't. And And you saw the hope of someday. Yeah, I just was like, I'm on the long journey, you know? And and what kept you going to church when he wouldn't come with you? Um, What kept you faithful? Because I still always, I never, I never doubted my testimony. I just felt like I must be the exception, you know? Um, That God has all these rules, but how they apply is going to look different for everyone. And, and ideally we get married in the temple, but you know, that didn't happen, but I could still be committed to a forever marriage, even though really I, I wasn't even married anymore, you know? So I was still trying to live what you hoped was what, possible. What, right? Yeah. Some semblance of this covenant, I guess. Um, and, and when did that change in your mind? Like, at what point did you say, I'm not going to get what it is I hope I want? After 10 years, <laughs> I was on this, I kind of was on what I, I mentally kept thinking of. I'm on this merry-go-round. Like, we're doing the same thing over and over. And we aren't getting remarried, but we're still together. And I knew that that wasn't right. It wasn't getting me where I wanted to be. I was almost 30 and didn't have a family and didn't have a real husband and wasn't dating because I had a kind of husband, you know, and I just kept praying that the Lord would help me get off the merry-go-round. I didn't feel like I was strong enough to do it myself. I had tried. Um, I didn't know what that even meant, but I just kind of felt like I'm on a runaway train And I finally got to the point where I was like, even if you have to crash the train to get me off, something's got to change. And then I found out I was pregnant and I was thrilled. And I thought, this is the answer. Now we'll get married and have a family, have a family and we'll be back on track and everything will be great. And so I told him and at that time he let me know that he had been seeing other people and that he was going to choose to stay with a, another woman that he was dating. And 
I realized I was going to be a single parent. Wow. So, um, that's one of those moments in life when the weight is like, boom, boom. <laughs> and you, I, you just don't see it coming yeah. and you think, how do I get out from under this? We, we've all had them, right? Everybody has that in their story. But for you at that moment, when you realize this facade of family life and hope is shattered, where did you go? I, I knew that I wasn't mentally or emotionally strong at that moment. Um, and so I looked to the people around me that were, um, who did I still trust? I had, I'm blessed to come from a really good family. Um, it is a part member family, but my mom is a strong member. I have great siblings and I turned to them and they said it was time for me to come home. And so at eight months pregnant, I packed up everything, quit my job. I was working as an event planner for a really prestigious company. I was very successful. I was making a lot of money. Um, and that's what you had done for those 10 years, yeah. right? Including the Olympics? Yeah, the Olympics. We did all kinds of things that I got to you know, rub elbows with the rich and famous and, and do a lot of things that I, I was loving. I loved my job and, um, and you had goals for your job. Oh yeah. What was, what was your dream job if it had developed further? I really wanted to do event planning on a national, on an international level. Um, and so that was kind of the next step that I was looking for was to be able to go and plan these events um, internationally. And I had just won an award in Salt Lake for one of the up and coming best event planners, which was big and prestigious. And I was making a lot of money and now I was pregnant <laughs> and I was going to be single. And never in my life had I thought I wanted to be a working mom. I always had, I had a stay at home mom growing up. And so my idea was that I was going to get married. I was going to have a whole bunch of kids. I was going to be the PTA president and I was going to bake cookies and, and be happily ever stay after. home and be happily ever after. And now I was looking at my life and it was impossible for that to happen at that point. So I had to reevaluate. And so at 30, I was 32, I think, I was moving back home with my parents. I was pregnant and single and had to quit my job and I had to reevaluate. Um, at that point, as I moved home, I got a phone call and I was offered an international event planning job. The dream job. The dream job. And so I really took stock of my life and I decided, okay, what kind of parent do I want to be? If I'm going to be a single parent, um, I didn't want to be one that was gone all the time. I didn't want to be traveling and um, never around. And so I turned down the job and I cried because <laughs> I really had wanted it. And... Like I said, I had saved up a lot of money um, 
from my job. And so for the first three years of my life or my daughter's life, I stayed with my parents and was able to stay home with her and which is for me was a blessing. Yeah. Um, and then when she was old enough to start preschool during that three years, I had gotten online and taken an online program to get my teaching credentials because I felt like the kind of mom I wanted to be was present. And in order to be present, I felt like a teaching job was the closest thing I could do. And so I got that degree and um, started teaching elementary school. And I did that for 10 years and really enjoyed it. Um, Would you have ever been a teacher if you had not had this beautiful baby girl? No. You would have just pressed on with your event planning and moved Uh, on to the international dream job. Yeah. So that was a sharp turned corner. And that came from your decision of, I'm choosing mother over Over, occupation. Yeah. And it, it wasn't easy. Like during this time, there was a lot of tears. I was very heartbroken. My dreams of what my life was supposed to look like were shattered. And I kind of had to do some soul searching um, with the Lord and just say, okay, now what? And I really determined that I did not want my daughter to grow up seeing me sitting on a hope chest, waiting for the next man to come or waiting for my life to start. I wanted to show her that no matter what happens in our life, that we can be resilient and that we can still build something good out of the rubble. That's so courageous of you in that moment because that's, that's life-changing. Your decision in that moment altered everything good that's come after. Yeah. And I just, uh, and you'll continue with your story, but just think of how many lives you've blessed mm-hmm. and the things you've done and what a crucial moment of decision and in the middle of heartbreak. Yeah. Well, I got off the merry-go-round, which mm-hmm. is what I had prayed for. It just was not the way I had hoped. You didn't know you'd <laughs> fall and go rolling down the hill. No. <laughs> And, and I was left with scars. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that uh, emotional and mental scars, I don't think we get through life without those bumps and bruises. Um, but I also think that sometimes when a bone breaks, it, it can heal stronger. And I think that the Lord can take those things. Not that I think that he sets us up to have hard decisions or hard experiences, but I think that when life throws them our way or our choices throw them our way, I think he can take that and turn it into something that will be useful. Oh, absolutely. And and we do. Our choices mess us up all the time. Yeah. But he gave us our agency. We fought for our agency, right? Mm-hmm. And so every time we make a choice, he just stands ready to catch us. Yeah. His atonement, his ability to love despite choices, he's always there. And so in this moment for him to be there through all of that change and then turn you in a direction that brought so much more. So what happened after that moment? So I taught school for 10 years and I kept having all these little kids come in my classroom that I loved, but I wasn't able to teach because they had so many emotional and 
mental challenges and I didn't know how to help them. I would see these, these problems that I didn't know how to fix. So you had the desire, but not the knowledge. Yeah. And so, um, as I started looking into ways to make more money as a teacher, I had to get a master's degree is what I kind of had determined. Um, and I wasn't sure that I was capable of getting a master's degree. I hadn't been in school for a very, very long time. And I was talking with one of my colleagues and, and she mentioned just in passing, you're one of the smartest people I know. And I was literally dumbfounded by it. And it was a pivotal sentence. It changed my life because at that moment I thought, this is this person that I look up to and trust. And she thinks I'm smart. And so, I just want to go back and hug her. <laughs> People don't realize the power of words. Positive, yeah. truthful words can change us forever. Well, and we were just doing bulletin boards in her classroom. It wasn't like this was this big conversation. It was just a casual conversation in passing. But those words just, just rolled around in my head. And I decided to apply for the master's program at Boise State, um, the counseling program, because I had thought about counseling clear back in my associate's degree. And um, when I looked at those classes, those it really like just hit me. I just like, this. I'm interested in this, but I still didn't feel capable. And so I looked into the program and it was daunting to me. It was three years year-round. They don't recommend that you work. I'm supporting my family, so that's not an option for me. And they said that they take between 20 and 25 kids a year in the program and that they have hundreds apply. Oh, wow. And so I decided that I would just apply, and if it was the right thing, the Lord would help me get through. And so I did, but I didn't tell anybody. And I got in. And then I thought, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to actually do it. And the first couple times I went, I cried because I just thought, this is too big. I can't do this. And so many defeating thoughts in your head. Oh, and I wanted to be a present mom. And I didn't know how I was going to do this. My daughter was getting ready to start middle school, which is like this time where you're like, kids fall apart, you know, and it's the tornado of yes. my education, middle school, <laughs> the worst three years. And so I was like, great, that's the perfect time for me to not be present, you mm-hmm. know? And so I just really had to rely on the Lord that like, if this was the path that he wanted me on, somehow he'd carry me through it. And he did. I mean, there were times where I felt like I had so much reading and tests and things and I would cram and cram it in my brain and it just wasn't solidifying and I would pass, you know, and I just kept feeling like this is the journey he needed me to be on. And so, um, I trudged through, I worked up until the very last, um, semester of school. So I was a full-time mom, (laughs) single mom, I was teaching school 
full-time and I was in graduate school at night full-time and I made it work. I did nothing else. <laughs> um, and then I started my life as a counselor. And even with the degree, even after all of that, I still had moments where I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, and I rely on the fact that I know that the Lord wants me here and that he will help me be able to touch people in the way that they, I, I feel like I'm a conduit for him and that's important to me. That's amazing. So much mm -hmm. faith in that process and in that journey. So talk to me now as a counselor, um, what are the, what are some main things that you see in the people that you work with? I, um, a couple of things. One of the things is I am very upfront about the fact that I am a LDS member of the church of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that I am, um, that that's my background, that's my foundation. And I have a lot of people that come to me specifically because I have the same um, religious viewpoint they do. I also see a lot of people that are atheist or not interested in religion at all, but it is something that I don't, um, definitely don't hide. Um, and then I ask my clients if they want you know, a religious perspective to be part of their counseling journey. And some do, some don't. Um, but for me, it's always part of the journey, whether they, whether it's a spoken part or not, because I always pray before I see my clients. I always pray that the Lord will be able to use me, um, that he'll bless me with discernment to know what they need to hear, that he can use me as a tool to reach people that are hurting and to help guide them. Oh my goodness. Imagine, Amber, if every professional did that before mm -hmm. a surgeon, before they operate on someone, an attorney, before they resolve a conflict. Like, imagine if every professional said to the Lord, use me as the tool as needed, however this client or this patient or this person needs me. What a beautiful way to start every session with a client. I think I don't pray with the clients. Right. I do it before. I know, before you go ahead. But that's what I'm saying. Like, yes. Imagine if, if that was just a practice in everyone's life. It would change the world. I I can sometimes definitely feel the spirit, which is an interesting thing when you feel the spirit in a secular profession. Um, but it's very interesting because as I work with people. Um, one of the things that I've learned is that the Lord loves us so much, no matter what. And I've learned to be very non-judgmental because I've realized that I don't know what that person needs in their life journey to become the person the Lord needs them to become. Mm -hmm. And, and that's I, such a powerful point. Mm -hmm. Christ is the judge, mm -hmm. which means we don't have to be. Right? right. So to give that load to him and be alleviated of that burden and mortality, I don't have to take time in my life to judge or think or worry about anyone. All I, that all that leaves us to do is love. Right. Which is 
the commandment anyway, love your neighbor, <laughs> love God, love your neighbor. So to alleviate those quick judgment thoughts or those heavy things where we wish that we were someone else to get that out of our life. We're so free to have joy and hope and to let him use us as a tool. It It's a magical moment when we really realize what that means and how it can bless us. Well, and I find that most people have enough judgment of themselves. Like we, we beat ourselves up over everything we do. I think that that's that maybe this is just me talking, but I think that that may be one of the reasons why when the woman that was taken in adultery comes to Christ, and I I think it's profound that he didn't say, like, shame on you. Like, he never says anything condemning. He didn't say, like, why were you doing this? You know better. Oh, how many times have we gone through this? You know, he he didn't say any of those things. In fact, he chastised the people that were condemning her and instead just said, go and sin no more. And I think that when I think about that woman, I think, I bet inside she was, if she's anything like the women and men that I meet with today, they spend their whole day chastising themselves Mm -hmm. for the little mistakes or the big mistakes that they've made. And I just think, I bet that when we see the Lord that he will just say, okay, once you know better, do better, Mm -hmm. you know, go and sin no more. Yeah. And and it's really Satan's tool to defeat us mentally, emotionally. He's in our heads all the time. Mm -hmm. We're never good enough. We can't compare with someone next door. Like if he can shred us on the inside, he keeps us from doing God's work. But the minute we give that up, we let it go and we let the Savior heal us, we're, we're the most powerful beings ever. We're capable of anything he asks us to do. We don't think that when we're, you know, our teenage years or as a young adult, I don't think we realize how much power Christ has in helping us succeed and become our very best selves. But we have to be the ones to recognize the difference. Is, is, is this in my head? Is this truth? And if it's not, how do I get it out? Well, we have to get out of our own way. Yeah. Right? Like if, like I was holding so tightly to what my idea of what my life should look like based on great things, you know, like I was wanting all of the things that I had wanted since I was 14 and young women's writing down like personal progress right I want I want my husband to be like this and I want my house to look like this and I want all of my children and and my life doesn't look anything like that but if if the Lord would have given me what I was pleading for when I was going through that time with my ex-husband and if he would have if he would have interceded and and made this marriage work somehow I wouldn't have been a teacher I wouldn't have ever been a counselor and I've watched the path that my ex-husband has gone on and it deviated really far from where I would want my life to be and I think he didn't give me what I wanted but he's made my life so much bigger in a different Richer, way. Fuller. You yeah. know? Is it perfect? Do I wish 
you know, of course I still wish that I had a companion, you know, but I also know that I always think, I, I bet Sherry do wishes she had a companion too, <laughs> you know? I, I think that sometimes though, the Lord needs us to sacrifice some things here so that we have more capacity to do the things He needs us to do. And right now, without a spouse, I have a lot of capacity to, I have a lot of time and energy to serve a lot of people that are really hurting. And for me, that feels like I'm doing something important with my life. That the time that I'm here on earth, the, this hundred years that we have here, isn't being wasted. Um, and that's important. That's, that's important so, to me. That's so powerful. Uh, I think that's all of us, right? It's, it's very difficult to give our agency to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. And such a short phrase and one of the most difficult to follow from the scriptures to truly say, you are in charge of my life. I'm ready. What? Who would you have me serve today? And what would you have me do? If those were our two questions every morning on our knees, our whole day completely changes. It's our It's our own head, our own expectations, our own selfish wants that stumble and get in our way. Yeah. And when we set them aside and truly turn over to him, okay, this is out of my hands. <laughs> I am far beyond where I thought I would be. And I think that the Lord can take, like, I think that it's okay to be real with the Lord. Like, there's been a lot of things where I'm like, we're going to have to talk about this, you know? In the next life, I'm always saying, like, this is going on my list of things we're going to have to discuss because I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I think that if we can remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, that gives you that mustard seed of hope that will take you through anything. Um, And there have been times in my life where all I had was like the smallest mustard seed you've ever seen, or maybe even just the hope to have a mustard seed (laughs) um, holding me on. But that hope... And knowing that Heavenly Father loved me and that if I just held on, he'd figure it out or he'd help. He wouldn't figure it out because he's got it already figured out, but I would see the plan better. I would understand someday. And I do. You know, I understand now um, at 50 what I didn't think I would ever understand at 30. And um, I love being a counselor. I love being a mother. And I'm excited to see what the next 30 years, how the Lord can use me, you know, because I think that there are a lot of people who need hope. Yeah, so many. And you bring that to so many in conclusion, before we end today, and I have just appreciated all of your perspective because every young adult post-pandemic looks at their life with wonder of how does tomorrow happen and what comes next and where do I go from here? So for those listening, if you could give courage or advice to your young adult self, what would you give to you? What would you give to yourself? What would you give to those listening 
about the power of staying in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it will bless their life? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, if I had to talk to my teenage self, my 20-year-old self, I would say, believe in yourself. We have more capacity and more ability than we ever thought possible. I would say, continue to hold on even when it feels dark. I would say, cultivate around you a village of people who make you feel stronger than you feel, that see the good in you when you don't see it, that love you when you feel unlovable. And I would say, never give up on hope. Um, I always tell myself, even now, I did this when I was young, I still do it now. I never know what's right around the corner. And for me, that's exciting because I don't know if today's the day where I win the lottery, you know? <laughs> I don't know if today's the day that I change someone's life. I don't know if today's the day that I run into someone who will now be a significant person in my life forever. And I love that every day has that possibility and that I know that if I'm staying close to the Lord, that he can make more out of my life than I can. And that he can help me find the good despite all the garbage that we sometimes see. Yeah, and he certainly can. Keeping him in our life, keeping his gospel as part of our life changes everything for the better. Yeah. Just hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you so much.